Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 164. Today's big Bible question, has there ever been war in heaven? Spoiler alert, yes. So hello, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. I admit, I actually had to look at the calendar to remember what day it was. Out here in Central California, we are still mostly under quarantine, and the days are just running together. Well, yesterday we read seven chapters together on that episode. Today we'll only read four. Deuteronomy 15, Psalms 102, Isaiah 42, and Revelation chapter 12. Now, in case I've never mentioned it, I can tell you personally, I'm a pretty big fan of college football, and I am hoping and praying we have a season this year. When I think about the top college football teams of all time, I can't help but agree with ESPN and the way they ordered their list. Number three, the Ohio State University. Great coaches, multiple Heismans, and tons of recent success. A great program by any measure. Number two, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. 13 national championships. Some of the best coaches and players of all time. A deep and rich football history. And how could I, when we were talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, how could have I have forgotten the four horsemen of college football who all played at Notre Dame? Uh, thanks to Lamar, friend of the podcast and friend of me, for reminding me of that. Finally, the number one team. Is there really any debate? The Alabama Crimson Tide. 15 national championships and arguably the two top football coaches of all time in college, Nick Saban and Paul Bear Bryant. Now, I probably should remind you guys that I am not biased in the least bit in those rankings right now as I live in California, which is like 2,000 miles away from Ohio State, Notre Dame, and whatever other school I ranked first. So I am not biased at all, right? But you know, this is not a college football podcast. It's not a wrestling podcast, as we discussed a few days ago. Though honestly, I could enjoy either of those, or actually both together. Uh, hello everybody, welcome into the WrestleManiacs Heisman cast. Uh, no, maybe not. Uh, this is a Bible podcast, and the only reason I'm thinking about the top threes is that we are encountering what I believe is one of the most chilling and terrifying verses in the entire Bible. So here's my own personal ranking of the top three scariest Bible verses out there. Number one absolutely has to be Matthew 7.23, where Jesus says, Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I cannot imagine hearing anything more terrifying than Jesus saying this to a person. Now, he says this, if you read Matthew 7, to people who, by all appearances, were followers of him, but he did not know them. Uh, Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What a terrifying thing to hear upon the return of Jesus. Number two is similar, also Jesus speaking, Mark 9, 47 through 48, when Jesus says, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Look, I think we already know about the fire in hell, right? But what is this worm business? That's just horrifying. 
And it comes from Isaiah 66, 24, which says, They will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Eh, gracious. Yeah, that definitely... Maybe that, I don't think it's the number one verse, but it's definitely number two. And now we get to the number three verse, uh, the most chilling, terrifying, frightening, whatever, scariest Bible verses of all time. And we find it right here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. War? In heaven? How in the world could that be? I find that one little sentence to be utterly chilling to the bones. Almost every time I read it, it just kind of sends a shiver down my spine. So what is this passage all about? When in the world was there war in heaven? Well, let's go read Revelation 12 and see if it shines light on any of our questions. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was brought up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood, but the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. I must say, that is a most mysterious text. One of the more mysterious chapters in the entire Bible 
made even more difficult to comprehend given that there are really no other passages that seem to clearly and unmistakably refer to this incident, maybe with one or two exceptions we'll talk about in a second. So if we take the passage at face value, you know, granting that some people view this passage as very symbolic, then the war in heaven happened right after Jesus was born. And ever since then, the dragon, or Satan, has been confined to more earthly realms. Now, for some, it might be surprising to hear that Satan ever had access to heaven, that he might have even lived there, because most people think that Christians uh, believe Satan lives in hell. The problem is, that isn't at all what the Bible teaches. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire by Jesus in the future, but he has not yet lived in hell to our knowledge, and when he is cast into hell, it won't be to reign, it will be to suffer eternal ruin. It appears, according to the word, that Satan did indeed live and dwell in heaven for quite some time. First, we see in the book of Job that Satan would often gather together with the, quote, sons of God to present themselves to God. So Job 1, 6 through 8 says, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Well, we also see the same thing happening in Job chapter 2. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. We also see that if Ezekiel 28 is about Satan, and I believe it is, that Satan lived on the holy mountain of God and served there as a guardian cherub, possibly even a guardian cherub of the throne of God. And so Ezekiel 28, we've referred to it before, verse 12 says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you, carnelian, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. You were an anointed guardian cherub, for I appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Now, sharp-eared listeners will hear this passage and wonder about the timing, since Ezekiel 28.16 seems to also be talking about Satan being banished from heaven. How could Revelation 12, which is like 500 years or so, roughly after Ezekiel, be talking about Satan's banishment as something that just recently happened? Well, that's actually a great question. There's at least a couple of possible answers. Number one, Satan was kicked out of heaven at some point before the birth of Jesus, maybe right after the Genesis 3 fall, 
but still could come back to heaven to, I don't know, visit? That might not be the right word. But then he was permanently banished from heaven after the war of Revelation 12. Now, possibility number two is that either Ezekiel 28 is looking forward prophetically to Satan's banishment, or Revelation 12 is looking backward prophetically to Satan's banishment. The bottom line is we don't know. I do know, interestingly though, that Jesus says he witnessed this event and he described it very briefly to his disciples. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What we do know is that Satan attempted to ignite a sort of heavenly civil war before he was booted from heaven. Revelation 12.4 seems to indicate that a third of the angels of heaven joined in this revolt somehow, some way, and fought against the other angels who were led by the archangel Michael in a way that is difficult to understand, but sort of could be similar to an Ezekiel 28 dynamic where that chapter is talking about a human king, the king of Tyre, and also talking about Satan at the same time. Maybe Daniel chapter 8 is doing the same thing. And Daniel 8 does indeed seem to refer almost unmistakably to the war in heaven. Verse 9, for instance, says, From one of them a little horn emerged and grew extensively towards the south and the east and towards the beautiful land. It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall to the earth and trampled them. It acted arrogantly even against the prince of the heavenly army. It revoked his regular sacrifice and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. In the rebellion, the army was given up together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the speaker, How long will the events of this vision last? The regular sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and of the army to be trampled. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored. Now, I noticed there in Daniel 8, mention of the heavenly army, mention of stars falling to the earth, and the fact that the little horn takes on the prince of the heavenly army, which would seem to be Michael. Beyond that, I can say that we know Daniel 8 and Revelation 12 are somehow, some way connected, but making sense of just how they're connected is a little difficult. So, how do we conclude a discussion like this? I feel like there's many times the Bible gives us glimpses of truths, events, and future happenings that are just honestly beyond our ability to fully understand as finite humans. These things are above our pay grade and beyond our ability to fathom, and they're supposed to be, but they do share truths with us that are good and cause us, or at least should cause us, to cast our eyes toward heaven. And I'm grateful for these deep passages. Deep and mysterious passages like this can be confusing if you just try to figure out their every intricacy, but if we allow them to draw us to the Father, then we will find comfort there. I love how Spurgeon, in preaching about this violent and war-filled passage, leads his people to the ultimate peace promised by the cross of Jesus. And I think that'll make a very good fitting closing for our discussion today of Revelation 12. Spurgeon says this, quoting Jesus, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. God is the great peacemaker, and thus he is indeed the God of peace. When Satan fell, there was war in heaven. God made peace there, for he smote Satan and cast him and all his rebel hosts into eternal fire. He made peace by his might and power and majesty, for he drove him out of heaven and expelled him by his flaming brand, never again to pollute the sacred floor of bliss, and never more to endanger paradise by misleading his peers in heaven. So he made peace in heaven by his power. But when man fell, God made peace not by his power, but by his mercy. Man sinned. Poor man. Mark how God goes after him to make peace with him. Adam, where are you? Adam never said, God, where are you? But God came after Adam, and he seemed to say with a voice of affection and pity, Adam, poor Adam, where are you? Have you become a god? The evil spirit said you would be a god. Are are you? Are you a god? Where are you now, poor Adam? You were once in holiness and perfection. Where are you now? And he saw the truant Adam running away from his master, running away from the great peacemaker to hide himself beneath the trees of the garden. Again, God calls, Adam, where are you? But he says, I heard your voice in the midst of the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God says, who told you that you were naked? How kind it is. You can see he is a peacemaker even then. But when, after having cursed the serpent and sent the cursed obliquely on the ground, he comes to talk to Adam, you see him as the peacemaker still more. I will, said God, put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. There, says Spurgeon, God was making peace already through the blood of the cross. Let's keep reading. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how to cancel debt. Every creditor is to cancel what he has lent his neighbor. He is not to collect anything from his neighbor or brother because the Lord's release of debts has been proclaimed. You may collect something from a foreigner, but you must forgive whatever your brother owes you. There will be no poor among you, however, because the Lord is certain to bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. If only you obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow every one of these commands I am giving you today, When the Lord your God blesses you as he promised you, you will lend to many nations but not borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule you. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers, within any of your city gates in the land the Lord God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts, is near, and you are stingy towards your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty. Give to him, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do, for there will never cease to be poor people in the land. This is why I am commanding you, open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in the land. If your fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember, 
You were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command today. But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, take an awl and pierce through his ear into the door, and he will become your slave for life. Also treat your female slave the same way. Do not regard it as a hardship when you set him free because he worked for you for six years, worth twice the wages of a hired worker. Then the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Consecrate to the Lord your God every firstborn male produced by your herd and flock. You are not to put the firstborn of your oxen to work or shear the firstborn of your flock. Each year, you and your family are to eat it before the Lord your God in the place the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in the animal... If it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you may not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Eat it within your city gates. Both the unclean person and the clean may eat it, as though it were a gazelle or deer. But you must not eat its blood. Pour it on the ground like water. Psalm 102 Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. For my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is suffering, withered like grass. I even forget to eat my food because of the sound of my groaning. My flesh sticks to my bones. I'm like an eagle owl, like a little owl among the ruins. I stay awake. I'm like a solitary bird on a roof. My enemies taunt me all day long. They ridicule and use my name as a curse. I eat ashes like bread and mingle my drinks with tears because of your indignation and wrath, for you have picked me up and thrown me aside. My days are like a lengthening shadow, and I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, you are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. You will wise up and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dust. Then the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. This will be written for a later generation and a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from heaven to earth to hear a person's groaning, to set free those condemned to die, so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely, and their offspring will be established before you. Isaiah 42. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instruction. This is what God the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, 
who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea with all that fills it, you coasts and islands with your inhabitants, let the desert and its cities shout. The settlements where Kedar dwells cry aloud. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praises in the coasts and islands. The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts. He roars aloud. He prevails over his enemies. I have kept silent from ages past. I have been quiet and restrained myself, but now I will groan like a woman in labor, gasping breathlessly. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up marshes. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them and I will not abandon them. They will be turned back and utterly ashamed. Those who trust in an idol and say to a cast image, you are gods. Listen, you deaf, look, you blind, so that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf like my messenger I am sending? Who is blind like my dedicated one or blind like the servant of the Lord? Though seeing many things, you pay no attention. Though his ears are open, he does not listen. Because of his righteousness, the Lord was pleased to magnify his instruction and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in holes or imprisoned in dungeons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them and loot with no one saying, give it back. Who among you will hear this? Let him listen and obey in the future. Who gave Jacob to the robber and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord? Have we not sinned against him? They were not willing to walk in his ways, and they would not listen to his instruction, so he poured out his furious anger and the power of war on Jacob. It surrounded him with fire, but he did not know it. It burned him, but he didn't take it to heart. O Lord, let us listen. O Lord, let us be built up and edified and encouraged and pointed to Jesus by your word. Friends, may the Lord bless you. Good day. Godspeed.